Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net and welcome to the HTDC podcast. In this episode, we're joined by a very special guest, Tom Bilyeu. Named one of the 25 most influential entrepreneurs in the world by Success Magazine, Tom is the man behind Impact Theory, a multimedia platform whose prime mission is to pull people out of the matrix, help them realize their potential and execute on their dreams. Being the self-improvement junkie that I am, that's how I first discovered Tom, and when I heard he was expanding Impact Theory into a fully-fledged comic book studio that would someday rival Disney, I couldn't believe it. He was this mega-successful guy I looked up to and listened to every day for inspiration, and now on top of that, he's making a comic book company. Impact Theory Comics are gearing up for the release of their first book with Steve Aoki's Neon Future. So today, we're here to talk with Tom about how his studio went from being an idea to becoming a reality, why he's doing it after building companies like Quest into multi-billion dollar successes, but most importantly, I've invited Tom here today to talk about the mindset and determination he needed to pull it all off. As artists, we all ask ourselves the question that determines the fate of where we could someday take our passions. Will I ever be good enough? And what got me past that question was the belief that with enough time, practice and patience, you can master almost anything. As long as you've got that, it's almost guaranteed. Cause and effect. That's what I resonate with most about Tom's message. Tom, I want to give you a very warm welcome to the show. It's a true honor to have you here. Thanks for having me on, dude. I'm excited to be here. It's super awesome to finally be able to chat with you, especially about Impact Theory Comics, because as I was saying, myself and my partner work at our home studios, and we're always listening to you in the background while we work on our art. So when we found out you were doing a comic book studio on top of that, we thought this is too perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting. Now, Tom, I'm lucky enough to wake up most days and work on howtodrawcomics.net, a passion project very close to my heart that I truly find fulfilling. But there are those times when I do feel uninspired and that end goal just seems impossibly far away. And the first place that I look to reignite my passion is impact theory. You're not a motivational speaker as much as you are a reminder that whatever you're setting out to do, regardless of how crazy it is, is possible In your own words, Tom, what is impact theory and what does it mean to you? Well, impact theory in terms of the the name itself and what it means to me is really about whether or not I can pull people out of the matrix at scale. And so what I mean by that is people are held into a matrix of beliefs that are limiting in nature. There is a way out of that to restructure your belief system. And so while I don't think a lot about whether we're actually living in the matrix, Mm -hmm. uh, I think endlessly about how we can trap ourselves into being less than we could be by the way that we think. So um, having had, you know, as many employees as I've had, I started really looking at how do I help them beyond just the paycheck and how do I really help them restructure the way that they think? And so I developed a theory for that. And that theory is exactly what this company is. And that is if you can combine nonfiction and fiction. So the social content that we create is the nonfiction side. So it's what you and I are doing right now. Yep. That's what I call direct to camera, right? So you're literally just speaking. You're telling people what you did. You're telling them how to do it. You're giving them a roadmap. It's the intellectual equivalent of telling people to eat less and exercise more if they want to get in shape. It will work, and it will work every time, but most people aren't going to do it. So what is that 
other side of the equation, which is what we were trying to do at Quest, which was, okay, you want to get in shape. Well, then let's make food that you choose based on taste, and it happens to be good for you. And so that obviously will reach a much broader audience. So when I talk about scale, I'm talking about the fiction side of our business. So telling stories that are compelling but at their core actually give people a map by which to build their own thinking, to live their lives. And so Disney became the, the map, the model, if you will, because they were the only studio that's had the discipline to only tell one kind of story. And because they've only told one kind of story, the name brand means something. And Disney essentially gave rise to Americana. And there are many very credible historians that credit him with helping pull America out of the Great Depression with the Three Little Pigs, which is yeah, pretty wow. crazy. So, you cool. know, when you think about how we're really able to have a massive impact on society and culture specifically through narrative, my theory of how to impact people at scale became do nonfiction and fiction content both together, everything around empowerment, everything around belief system, only tell that one kind of story so that people walk away at the end of every piece of content they touch from impact theory feeling empowered like they can go out and really do something. Absolutely, man. That sounds super cool. And I believe that stories have that power as well. It is amazing to think about just how influential Disney is and how much you could do with that kind of power and reach of influence. So you're serious about rivaling Disney and competing with them someday, Tom? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, yeah. people need to understand that I get that that is a 75-year endeavor. That's not a you know, five or 10-year plan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, becoming becoming the dominant studio is really the name of the game. And I, I understand how much about technology is going to change and all that stuff. And that, mm. you know, 75 years is well beyond the singularity. And like, can we really <laughs> predict into that? Not really. But it's like, yeah. you have to have a goal. There has to be something that you're marching towards. And, you know, we'll adjust course as needed as we go. But this really is for me, it's about scale. It's about impacting yeah. people at scale. So mm. the moment you start talking about scale, you better have a model that has already solved the problem of scale, and nobody has addressed that concern better than Disney. Tom, there's no doubt about it. You've reached an outstanding level of success. But where did it all begin for you? Did you ever imagine you'd be here today attempting to empower people's mindsets through comic books? I never thought that I would be attempting to empower their minds, not when I was growing up. When I was growing up, it was just an absolute fascination with storytelling. Yep. And so that was really where the obsession began. But then in trying to get into business so that I could control the resources, because one of the smartest things I, I was ever told was that as a creative, because I went to film school, I'm a writer by training and uh, by practice. And so when I first was trying to break into Hollywood, um, it just was not going anywhere. And then where it was going, the one uh, screenplay that I had produced into a film, I was just really profoundly unhappy with the results. So it was, uh, what I was told was you're coming to the world with your hand out. And if you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. So I was like, okay, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, let's do it. And <laughs> they were two very successful entrepreneurs. And they said, why don't you come with us? We need a copywriter, but don't think of yourself as a copywriter. You know, you could become a partner in this company if you really work hard. And so just come with us and get rich. And I thought, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. I'm going to do that. That's perfect. Then I can go back and make the movies that I want to make. And in doing that, I very quickly realized that, whoa, this is going to take 
a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. And so 18 months turned into 15 years, but in the end it worked. And after a series of companies and realizing what my sort of emotional passion-based North Star is, uh, we finally ended up on a company that was really about value creation and, and being passionate every day, even if we were losing and um, all the things to keep me, you know, really excited and pushing forward. It actually worked and we built a billion dollar company and suddenly I found myself with the ability to exit that company and have the financial wherewithal to actually build the studio that I promised myself one day I would build. That's awesome, man. Great. So you always dreamt of building this studio. It was always something in the back of your mind that you wanted to do someday. Definitely. Yeah, I get that because How to Draw Comics is almost like that for me in a way because one day I want to be able to fund the creation of my own comic books. And so these things become stepping stones toward that ultimate goal, that ultimate vision that you'll look back on one day and go, hey, that was what I was supposed to do in life. And I did it. I made it happen. Something which is a lot better than uh, living with regret. No question. Why reach out to people through comics? How will titles such as Neon Future leave an empowering impact on the minds of the readers long after they've closed it? So first and foremost, the the art form of the comic book is something that I've long been just a massive fan of. I've been collecting comic books since I could drive, since that was the only way for me to get to a comic book shop. Cool. Uh, and just have, have always been into it. And in college, really found the more mature side. Comics were really starting to come into their own um, in the late 80s, early 90s. And so it was really a cool journey into just the power of storytelling. And the thing that I've always liked about comics is there's just a, a, a rapid way that you can tell these really high concept, interesting ideas. And when I need to get something, a bit of inspiration, when I need something to really spark my own creativity, I've always turned to comic books. And there's just, there's something about that medium in particular that doesn't have some of the rules and limitations that other art forms have. Because it's so much cheaper to make, there's a lot more experimentation, a lot more risks being taken, a lot more diverse um, character types, whether that's, you know, anti-heroes or just all the way to, you know, like superheroes and stuff, which now is huge in cinema, but certainly was not, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So, hmm. um, having played in that world growing up as a storyteller, I was always very drawn to that, and especially because it's still a very, very visual medium. So mm. that that's what drew me to comics. Now, why people reading this are going to be impacted long after they finish reading it, that just comes down to making sure that we're telling stories that are the hero's journey, right? So somebody starts out in a way that the reader will very much be able to recognize. They're lost, they're scared, they're alone, they're less than they could be. Um, you know, maybe they're fighting with depression or anxiety, whatever. It's like the people that you know, but they're so far behind the eight ball that you think how in the hell is this person ever going to become extraordinary? And the story that we want to tell is the story of that person going through the trials and tribulations you know, of the classic hero's journey and coming out the other side. And the example that I always give people, because look, these have to be entertainment first. If people are not entertained, if they don't love the characters and love the story, if they feel in any way, shape, or form that we're trying to be preachy or get a message across, like we will lose. Yeah. So the, the examples I give of movies that I wish we had made, I would not change a frame of it, The Matrix, mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars, Shawshank Redemption, Karate Kid, Rocky One, Rocky Four. Like these are things that, man, if we had made 
literally change nothing, cast the same people, like everything from top to bottom. It's exactly perfect. So if people begin to understand how all of those films are related, then they'll begin to understand the kinds of stories that we want to tell. Absolutely, man. That's super cool. And do you, in a way, intend to use the comic book titles that you create as storyboards for your later endeavors? For example, let's say you want to turn Neon Future into a movie someday. I'm not sure if that's what you're intending to do, but would you use the comic book as a storyboard to build off of that? We'd never use them as a storyboard because comic really is a unique art form. And if you're not mm. respectful of the art form, if you're not leveraging it for everything that it has to offer, I think you're really missing an opportunity. So yeah. we're right now thinking about making just a sick comic book that stands mm. as, you know, one of the greats. Like we want to make some great comic books. And beyond that, though, the intellectual property, the ideas, I think probably will have legs into other arenas. Um, and so no question, some of the properties that we develop as comics will have a second life as film or TV. Um, but that that will really come down to what the you know, the audience for those mediums will respond to. So right now we just want to put together an amazing library of IP that we develop as comic books for comic book readers um, and blow that out of the water first. Totally. It must be a really exciting time at the studio, especially getting your first title out to the printers. Yeah, that was insane, dude. And I'm sure it's yeah. something that you understand well. Like getting it across the finish line was so insanely difficult. Like it, it's almost like comical, like how hard it is to get a comic book put together and across the finish line and to do it in a timely fashion. So, you know, my hat is off to every comic creator out there that's ever gotten something, you know, actually to print. It's like, I'm with you, man. I, I feel it. Would you like to dive into that a little bit further? Like how you found the right team, where you seek them out and managed to get these awesome artists on board. I mean, having Steve Aoki involved in the project is absolutely amazing. And it also seemed to me that you got this book together in quite a short amount of time somehow and managed to get it done to the printers all within a couple of months. How long did it actually take? Yeah, that's because that was when we started like posting about it. That is definitely not because that's how long oh, it took. So this was yeah. this was something that that's been going um, from the time that I pitched uh, Steve the idea. You're probably talking almost a year. Wow. So it yeah, I mean this this has really been. Um, you know, a, a labor of love and just being consistent and continuing to go. But like you, you know, pointed out, I was starting flat footed. I'm starting from a position of a never having created a comic B not knowing any comic creators whatsoever. Um, and C, you know, not having, um, even a fully fleshed out storyline. So, okay, you're standing at the starting gate. What idea are you going to do first? Um, how are you going to get attention for it? And who is actually going to create this thing? Since I can't draw, um, I definitely am not going to be able to do this by myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are we going to do? And so really looking at the problem realistically, and this is something that I will say for everyone out there listening I'm the guy to take advice from if you want to reach a mass audience. I'm not the guy to take advice from if you're super happy to do a webcomic and it comes out, you know, once every three or four months. And like that just doesn't appeal to my personality. I want to reach as many people as possible and touch as, live, as many lives as possible. So I knew right from the jump this has got to be something that I do in conjunction with somebody that can help me get attention. So that meant, okay, I'm going to have to make this celebrity-based in some way. Now, I have an interview show for those that know nothing about me. I do an interview 
interview show. Um, it's, it's gained a lot of traction and through the interview show, I've been able to get people on that are just these really incredible, um, oftentimes famous people. And my thing is that if I can get in the room with somebody, chances are I'll be able to really build rapport, really connect and hopefully turn that into like a real relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I told the team, I said, look, because we're looking for, um, celebrity driven projects, Let's use the show as a chance to see who we connect with and then potentially build projects around some of the guests. And so there were a few people that we had our eye on for the first one. And when I heard that Steve Aoki in real life plans to be cryogenically frozen when he dies, <laughs> I was like, that is my kind of guy. Like, I am so obsessed with the future. I'm so obsessed with technology. I'm on the board of the X Prize, which is literally trying to author the future. And so I thought, all right, I've really got to get to know this guy. So we hit it off massively just as like two people. And so I've continued to hang out with him and um, was participating in his charity, which is all around the brain. And so we were talking about like, what is, you know, augmenting a human look like? And we both realized that we were not only super passionate about that, but both of us actually want to do it. And so that began sort of the love affair there of like, just a shared love for future technology for, you know, becoming transhuman and actually, um, you know, becoming essentially cyborgs. And so we were talking about that and how much we love that. And, mm. um, that just sparked this idea for me of what would the a future look like if technology were outlawed, but you really could cheat death and yeah. having this underground movement that controlled technology now because the government had outlawed advanced technology and just thought, all right, this would be a really extraordinary sci-fi vehicle, which has historically always been the way that people really explore societal issues. And if you've read the most recent book by um, Yuval Harari, the guy that wrote Sapiens, Homo Deus, and most recently, um, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And he talks about how sci-fi writers have a moral obligation to paint a vision of the future that we can move towards. And I just thought that's so interesting because it's really true. Like as artists, our job is really to help steer humanity because we're giving them the things to dream about. We're giving them the things to be afraid of or to hope for. And so that was that just made Steve the perfect partner. And he, one, is just an extraordinary human and is so much fun to be around. And his team are extraordinary people and are just phenomenal collaborators. And he's one of those guys that say, you know, don't meet your heroes because you meet celebrities and stuff and they end up just being like assholes and you want nothing to do with them. He yeah. is the nicest human being you're ever going to meet. Like off camera, he might be even more charismatic and more fun to be around than he is on camera. So, wow. um, he's just, yeah, really, really been a lot of fun to explore what the future looks like with him. And so that only partly answers your question. So that's the, the celebrity side. And then yeah. putting the team together was, I'm a big believer. You want to tell everybody what you're up to. So even though I knew a lot of people are going to laugh because what's the protein bar guy doing thinking he can get into media. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, but it was the same when we were technology guys, they were like, what are the technology guys think they're doing getting into food? And when I was a writer, what does the writer think he's doing getting into technology? So it's like, I just, I keep hearing that. And what I tell people is there's always room for the best. So if you're prepared to become the best and you're going to put in the work and be realistic about how difficult that's going to be, then let people hate and just don't even worry about it. Literally just head down focus on getting great. So that was my thing. I'm going to get great at this. 
I'm going to tell everybody what I'm up to. The people that resonate with my vibe and what I'm about, they're going to come to me. And so that's exactly what happened. And I would tell anybody who would listen, hey, I'm doing a comic book. I'm doing a comic book. And if you know somebody, let me know. And finally, one guy said, oh, actually, I do know a guy. Uh, his name's Jim Kruger. And I was like the Eisner Award winning writer. Uh, wow. And sure enough, that's who it was. And he was like, oh, man, I'll put you guys in contact. Literally, like three days later, we're sitting down for coffee. And I said, look, I've pitched this idea to Aoki. They're totally on board. We need a writer. You know, are you interested? He was interested. He's a phenomenal collaborator, just an obscenely talented writer. And he spent, you know, whatever, 20 years in the industry making contacts. And he's so likable and he's so thoughtful and considerate that when he reaches out and says, hey, I'm doing this project with Steve Aoki, it was just like all of a sudden we had so many people that were ready to jump on board and that got us, you know, tier A++ mm-hmm. um, pencilers and then we ended up finding our own colorist, which I just did through doing uh, portfolio reviews at Comic Cons cool. and just found an extraordinary colorist and, and there it was. We had all the pieces. Oh, yeah, the book looks amazing. Based on the previews you've been putting out alone, it looks pro. It looks like it's going to stand up easily against anything the other larger companies are putting out at the moment, comic book-wise. So, again, congratulations on that, man. It almost seems like when you got together with Steve Aoki and you started talking about this comic book and the concept of becoming cyborgs and that kind of stuff, you were tapping into your inner child there. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, we'd pretend we were these characters that had these incredible powers. It's a great feeling. And now you're able to do that. You're able to actually visualize it and make it happen, turn it into something. And I think that's that's part of the fun of the industry that we're in is all the things that made that awesome when you were a kid, they're still there. It's still inside you. And when you're able to explore that with the legitimacy of the adult lens, that's when it gets really exciting to really look at this stuff and say, no, 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 for real, what if? And we've tried to base all the sci-fi on stuff that's either um, happening now is already real, but in its infancy, or at least being taken seriously by very credible people. So everything in the book is, you know, we're trying to keep it as close to science fact as possible. Um, Obviously, there are things that we dramatize or exaggerate, um, but there's such a cool um, kernel of truth and reality that I think the book will feel Um, very grounded to people. And that's part of that dreaming um, becomes more fun when you realize like how much of this stuff is actually going to come true. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, looking at the other sci-fi movies that are out there, there have been some things that have come true. I think I heard a story, it would have been a fair few years ago now, but they were looking at the futuristic aircraft in the Terminator movies as inspiration for actual military aircraft that they were thinking of creating. And I don't know if they actually created them, but I know that the story was floating around out there. The cool thing is, though, that when they design these sci-fi concepts and the elements within them, they are designed in such a way that it could feasibly work given the technology is available. So it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I love that. Totally, man. So something I've been both curious and excited about is watching you grow Impact Theory Comics from the ground up and the path you'll take to fully realize this studio. For example, I love the way you brought on board famous producers such as Steve Aoki for Neon Future, but there's no denying that the industry of comics is a tough one for lots of reasons, especially for independent studios. Did you feel like there was a real risk of failure jumping into the world of comics, Tom? 
Yeah, of course. Anytime yeah. you're starting something new like this, you you must look nakedly at the realities of what it's going to take. And you um, really have to understand the nature of the industry and the realities of the industry. So my first mission was to find people that could connect me with high level people in the industry. So one of the people being the former CEO of DC Comics. And I sat down with him for two days and I said, over the next two days, we have exactly one question to answer. Why am I going to fail? And he kind of laughed and he was taken aback and he was like, nobody ever asked that. He said, everybody <laughs> always asks, how do I succeed? And, and that's part of why they fail. Like first you have to understand like what, what is the state of the industry? What are the things you're going to encounter? What are the difficulties? What are the gotchas? And so I really, really needed to understand that before I could begin to um, disrupt the industry, quite frankly. And until I could get a lay of the land, I just didn't know the rules well enough to break them, if that makes sense. And so you don't want to you know, come into something and not understand how you're going to be perceived or how your actions are going to be taken. You really have to understand like the the every industry has like sort of a nature and you need to understand that. What's the personality of this? How do people think in this industry? Um, and who are the players, you know, like what's distribution look like and where are the pitfalls, where are the pain points for the people like that you can make go away. So understanding all of that stuff. So understanding, you know, how can I be the best place for a penciler to work? How can I be the best, um, you know, publisher for a store? Like, all of that stuff. Once you understand all of that, then you begin to understand how to reinvent or change or disrupt. But if you don't first understand why so many companies before you have died, then you just really run that risk. Yeah, big time, man. And that's exactly why I think you're going to really succeed with this. And I'm sure there's no doubt in your mind that the same is true because you're asking questions like this and you've dealt with other industries before where you've had to go through the same process of thinking about where all the pitfalls are that could potentially occur. So yeah, it's been very interesting to watch you do this with comic books because, and this will bring me to my next question, I know a lot of independent creators out there who have so much trouble, it's almost impossible to break in and build something. And here you are building something from the ground up, jumping into it from a completely different place. So I think it's been a super smart idea for you to use the power of celebrity and well-known people to get it out there and to get more eyes on it. I thought that was brilliant. And yeah, it's really going to be cool to see it grow, man. So yeah, as I was saying, Tom, there are many artists and writers out there who have almost given up on their dreams of creating a career in comics due to lack of skill, money, or optimal circumstance. And I think because of that, your mindset is something that many of us could truly benefit from. What advice would you give to creators who want to make a living doing what they love, but feel that the possibility of living that dream just isn't realistic? So humans lead with belief. So the first thing, anybody listening to this, and man, I, if you're driving, pull over. I really want you to listen <laughs> to this because th this is where you're going to change your life. The reality is humans lead with belief. And until you can believe that you can do it, you just won't put in the energy. So I fully accept that right now they're probably at a stage in their life where they've been kicked in the teeth enough. They're behind the eight ball enough. They don't have money. They failed at things, um, all of that. And it's all staring them in the face. And the last thing they want to do is lie to themselves and tell themselves some BS story about how everything is going to be okay and it's all going to work out. But here's the reality. If you cannot believe that you can pull this off, 
then simply for that reason, you won't pull it off. It's not because you don't have money. It is simply because you don't believe it. So you don't start putting in the energy. So here's how it's going to go. Once you decide, okay, I'm going to take him seriously. I'm going to believe that I have to believe, but I don't want to bullshit myself. So what's the trick? And the trick is this. Humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. That's it. That is what we are designed to do from the ground up. We are designed to get better at something, to put ourselves under stress and adapt as a result. So you don't have to believe that you're good. You don't have to believe that you're special. In fact, all you have to do is believe that you're completely average. If you will give me that you are hopelessly average, then I will say the average human is better than any other species on the planet at adapting. So now we just have to ask the question, since there's always room for the best, and that if you're making the best comic, there is a path to success for you, how do you get the skill set that you need in order to be the best? Because once you're answering that question, you're going down the path not saying, do I have the money, not saying, do I know the right people, just saying, am I willing and interested in putting in the energy it will take to become the best? Because if you can believe that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine and that adaptation comes from putting yourself in a position of stress, meaning writing or if you're drawing, Every day, you're going to sit down and draw every day, and you're going to pick something that you suck at, and you're going to start getting better at it. You're going to chip away at it. You're going to look at people that you admire. You're going to look at people that are selling, and you're going to say, what are they doing well? Is it storytelling? Is it um, the, the anatomy? Is it um, color? Like Whatever it is that you think is just making them great, that's the recipe to be the best. You're going to break that into discrete skills and you're going to go out and you're going to start acquiring those skills. Once you start doing that, you're going to see over time, you're just getting better and better and better and better. And people lament that it's not happening now. And I get that. But understand, I had to go into business, into this, the darkness of my soul <laughs> to figure out who I was just to get the money, let alone to figure out how I was actually going to pull this off. And now I'm com coming out the other side of all that, realizing that I didn't need to do that. There was an entirely different path before me. But the great news is that in chasing the money, I ended up changing fundamentally as a human being and having to learn to be an entrepreneur because I am not a born entrepreneur. None of this comes to me easily. Mm -hmm. But in going through that process, changing my mindset, learning how to think, understanding that I could adapt to any situation, that I could learn anything. And that's what I mean by adaptation. You can learn anything. So even if you're average, you're going to decide what it is you need to learn to become extraordinary at that thing. It isn't about natural talent. It is about working your ass off to develop a set of skills. So once I had my mind there, then it was like, okay, I get it. You can drop me into any situation. I'm going to be able to figure it out because I know ultimately I'm in one place. My goal is in another place. There is a chasm between me and where I need to be. And that chasm is a chasm of skill set. And then it simply is about breaking it into discrete skills that I can acquire and ultimately build that bridge across to either the person I want to be or the creator that I want to be or to have the career that I want to have. It's just a set of skills. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, what determines success anyway, right? I think it can't really necessarily Look, money is a form of financial success, definitely, and that can be an outcome oftentimes from these things, or sometimes not oftentimes. 
but I think the ultimate success is being able to look at this finished comic book in your hands, actually have it printed. And I'm sure you felt the same feeling when you got that first printed version of Neon Future, Tom. Have you got them back yet? Have you been able to hold them in your hands? I have, I have. It feels amazing, don't get me wrong, yep. and that was a huge <laughs> milestone. But here's what people really need to understand. I will spare you the six and a half years of my life that I lost to chasing money. The only thing at the end of the day that matters, there's only one thing. All of us are chasing the same thing, whether we know it or not. We are chasing fulfillment. That's it. Yeah. How do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? Do Are you proud of who you are? Now, none of that has to do with how much money you have. That doesn't mean that money isn't awesome. It is. Money is cooler than you think, not less cool. It just is not at all what people are led to believe it is. So money is a facilitator. That's it. So it's going to allow you to facilitate your dreams. It's going to allow you to scale things. But if you don't know what your dream is, if you don't have anything that you want to scale, or God forbid your dream is actually money, or the thing you're trying to scale is money itself, like none of that's interesting. It won't feed you emotionally. So once people understand that like the day-to-day -day grind of building this comic is fulfilling to me. So even if somehow I were stuck in a video game, this were the matrix, and there I could never get across the finish line, I still love my life. So the demand that I always make of myself, and unfortunately I learned this the hard way, is success is not guaranteed, but the struggle is. So you better find fulfillment in the struggle. And plus everybody knows this, like once you, you get the comic in your hand and it felt awesome and we stopped as a company, we took pictures and it was rad, yeah. we had a great time. <laughs> but then 10 minutes later, you're literally like, what's next? So no conquest makes you feel satisfied. There's, it's never going to satiate you ever. So once you know that, then it's like, well, what do I love? Like, what do I love the act of if it's drawing, you can supercharge that by putting that in service of other people. So like, for instance, we're trying to tell stories that will really be meaningful to people. Um, but it doesn't have to be that, but it has to be something that really matters to you. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. There's a mantra I always tell myself in those hard times where I'm feeling unmotivated, where the finish line just seems so far off into the distance, and that is whatever is worth doing is going to be hard to get. It's going to be hard to do. You're going to have to go through those trials and tribulations to really realize it. Because otherwise, if it was easy, everybody would be living the dream. They'd be doing what they love every day, and we'd probably have world peace or something like that. We'd have a less angry world anyway. But it's just not the case. We've got to work hard and really deserve the dreams that we want to make come true. So I think that's 100% true, Tom. And again, it's one mindset that I really try to take on board, especially when I was learning comic book art, you know, thinking about being able to actually master the art of comics, which is essentially like any other art form, but being able to draw anything purely from your imagination. That's what I loved about comic book art from the get-go, was just that you weren't confined to observation. If you really harnessed the power to draw comic books, you could draw near most anything that you could possibly conceive. And so you've got to get into that dynamic drawing, being able to move the human body and present it from a bunch of different perspectives. But I remember the way in which I did that was I did go out there and I observed those comic book artists whom I admired most, who were doing exactly the kind of artwork that I wanted to create, and I'd essentially just imitate what they were doing. I didn't know why they were doing it and the way they were doing it, I just kind of copied it down onto the page and figured that eventually something would sink in.
If I kept on repeating this process, if I kept on doing what they were doing, then something had to click somewhere down the line. So I'd kind of copy one of their artworks and then I'd take what I learned from that and try to do up my own artwork. Wouldn't look anything near the quality, of course, I was copying from my influencers, but then I'd go back and I'd try to learn something new. And eventually, just like you're saying, Tom, if you have that vision inside your mind and you're constantly working toward it and you're doing as you've seen others who have been successful in what you're trying to do have done, you'll get there eventually. So yeah, I think that's really cool, man. And I think that's why I resonate with you a lot as well, because I really have a lot of respect for that mindset. So, looking at the previews you've been putting out for Neon Future, it looks like you're breaking into the world of comics with a bang. The art is superb, and the story certainly sounds compelling. Tell us about the first title coming from Impact Theory Comics and the creative team behind it. I, I, so we have three wow. um, really extraordinary artists working on the project. You've got Neil Edwards, who's our lead penciler. You've got Jeremy Raypack, who does um, our... Um, there's a virtual world inside the story of Neon Future, and he does the virtual world. Um, and then we have somebody who's not actually doing anything for the book itself, um, not in issue one anyway. Issue two, they'll have a cover. Um, but they are, it's a guy named Maciek uh, mm-hmm. Kusiera, and he's a Polish artist who's doing some key art for us and some concept art. Um, awesome. He's just ungodly talented. Um, so the, the story is it's 30 years in the future, and the world is in the grips of an economic crisis brought on by AI and automation. And so here in the U.S., the government to restabilize the economy has enacted Article 10, which outlaws advanced technology. So think of it as outlawing AI and robotics, essentially. Um, And that creates this class divide between people who've already augmented their body, uh, which is obviously already happening. And you can imagine 30 years from now where we'll be with that. So imagine, you know, you're 30 years in the future. A lot of people have, you know, prosthetic limbs, bionic implants, like eyes and ears and all kinds of stuff. And now all of a sudden those people become, um, you know, second class citizens because technology is frowned upon. People blame it for what's happening to the world economy. So there's become sort of this race divide and there's a brewing civil war between the group of people called the augmented who have changed their bodies and integrated technology and the authentics who have not. And that, that sort of easy truce between them is broken when the most famous man in America, uh, most famous authentic man in America dies and Mm -hmm. the underground resistance group known as Neon Future kidnaps his body and brings him back to life with their advanced technology that is very illegal. So this guy is now alive again, and he used to be the face of anti-technology, and now he has to figure out who am I, who do I fight for, am I happy that I'm alive? Yeah. Um, you know, all of that. And so it's it's a story that follows him as the protagonist as he has to decide, you know, whether he's going to fight for the second chance that he's been given or if he's just going to give up and, you know, crawl under a rock and how he's going to deal with the kind of hate and rejection that comes along now with being a part of that, that second class citizen. 
Yeah, that sounds tough. I mean, every great story has a little bit of conflict in it, doesn't it? So it sounds like it's going to be something worth reading. But yeah, man, that sounds super cool. What inspired this story? Was there a bunch of inspirations for it that you took bits and pieces from? Or was it one in particular? I know you're a big fan of The Matrix. Yes, that that is for sure. The the real inspiration for the book came from uh, Steve Aoki being cryogenically frozen when he dies. And I just thought, whoa, that's so cool. Like, what if you could bring somebody back from the dead? And so it started with that. Like, if we could really cheat death using technology, you know, what what does that look like? Like, are you better off coming back? Or is that really like something that we shouldn't be messing with? And from there, you know, you try to push the sort of on the nose stuff as deep into the background as you can to tell just a compelling character driven story. So as we began to think about, you know, who is that character? What are they going through? Um, then the, you know, the other stuff emerged and we knew that it had to be wrapped within the architecture of a traditional hero's journey. So our thing is every character, main character anyway, that we have is in a change or die scenario. And look, some of our characters may not make it, and I'm not promising that our lead character makes it to the end of the book, but that will be ultimately what he's faced with is, am I willing to change and can I change enough and fast enough to survive a dangerous world? Absolutely, man. It'll be interesting to see how that character comes to terms with his technological advancements once he's brought back from the dead, because I can imagine that would heavily relate with a lot of people out there who possibly aren't happy with themselves and how they go about dealing with that acceptance of the parts of themselves that they may not be 100% initially happy with. I'm sure there will be a lot of things like that in the story that society connects with, and that'll be why it's impactful. Certainly hope so. So Tom, what is your ultimate vision for Impact Theory? Where do you see the studio in five, ten years from now? So that's a very easy question to answer. Oh, cool. So right now we're, we're building up the base of intellectual property and trying to build audiences around that, trying to really show people what the ethos of the company is. So everything that we make is around empowerment. And our mantra is, if Disney was able to build the most magical place on earth, can we build the most empowering place on earth? So in the five to 10 year horizon, you're going to continue to see the nonfiction side continue to grow. And we have almost 2 million people in our ecosystem on that side now. And you'll see us continue to invest heavily into the fiction side. Um, we'll be putting out one to three new pieces of IP every year. So, um, one to three new comic books, uh, and then translating those when appropriate into other things. Um, you know, whether that's film or TV or what have you, um, taking them down those paths as well. And yeah, just focusing on that. We also do, um, pitch some ideas direct to film and TV. So that's something that certainly within a 10 year time horizon, I would expect us to have multiple things on TV or being turned into films. Um, and, and that's it. And it's the, mm. you know, the slow march to owning everything that we create. And, you know, right now, um, we don't have the clout to pull that off. So if we yeah. want to do a major, you know, blockbuster film or something, we're going to need to uh, partner with somebody. And so that means giving up ownership. Um, so we're looking at film financing right now and how we're going to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, the next part of the learnings is just dealing with bigger and bigger budget scale projects. Um, but for right now we have neon future is literally out and it will start being, uh, start coming out 
on a monthly cadence digitally starting in October and then in stores either February or March. Um, so that that delay is, is not an us delay because we will be able to ship books from our website starting October 8th. Um, so and you can pre-order now, by the way, for anybody interested. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. So that that is the easy side but the distribution chain is is a whole another thing so yeah absolutely it seems like you're on this constant path of learning no matter what it is you're doing tom oh i'm absolutely obsessed with learning that to to my core is really what i'm about and um you know i i really hope everybody listening to this is on that same boat it it will be the difference between living the life that you want to live and always feeling at other people's mercy yeah, I feel like a lot of people get to this plateau, whether it be with their art or really anything in life, where it's almost as if they've learned everything that they could know about, or at least they feel that way. And I feel like once that happens, you stop growing, you stop becoming the epitome of what you could otherwise become. So if you enjoy the process of learning, that certainly helps you to continue growing. But after all you've done at this point in your own career, Tom, it's amazing to me that you still feel like you've got so much more left to learn. Or do you ever get to points where you sit back and you go, you know what, I'm doing pretty good now. Uh, do you have to search for the next thing you're going to learn or does it just come knocking at the door and you've got to tackle it there and then? Yeah, I, I get slapped in the face daily <laughs> with what I don't know. So yeah. Uh, there, there's no delusion in my mind regarding how much I have left to learn, which for me is thrilling. So I actually love that. But, um, no, it is very clear that I'm not yet the person I need to be to build the studio the way that I want to build it, to have the kind of impact that I want to have. So I'm, I'm just trying to grow fast enough. I'm trying to learn fast enough because that is really what this is going to come down to. Can I get those skills fast enough to pull this off? Yeah, and it seems like you're very good at growing fast, actually. When you look at how fast Quest Nutrition came together and then Impact Theory and your YouTube audience, how long did that take you to grow? Because I feel like you blew up that channel super fast for the amount of numbers that you've got now. Yeah, we. Um, so the time it took was our second um, year anniversary is um, – January 4th, so 2019. So January 4th, 2019 will be two years that we've yeah. been producing content. Um, so yeah, we've grown fast. We're at, like I said, just about 2 million in our ecosystem right now. Um, but you know, when we look at people that have done it a lot faster than us, we don't exactly feel like studs, but, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've grown into clip. There's no question, but you know, we have some pretty big demands that we put on ourselves. And so we're a ways away from our own goals. You can definitely see it. The high expectations and the quality you guys strive for is absolutely breathtaking. I think it's, you know, going back to the path of learning, looking at the people you have on your show, which everyone should check out, by the way. I've subscribed to this channel for a long time now, and it's always full of, I hate to say the word motivation, but just mindset and the kind of mindset you need to really push yourself to the epitome of what you can become. It reminds me of exactly where my head needs to be at in order to do the best that I can. You've interviewed the likes of Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk. I love that guy as well. It must be such a learning experience for you, Tom, every time you've got someone new in the interview chair to have a conversation with. No question. That, that is one of the greatest gifts about doing that show is the extraordinary people we're able to meet. And just the amount that I've learned from them is, is really, really amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, it'll be pretty cool to see someone from the comic book industry like Todd McFarlane or Jim Lee on the show someday. That'll be pretty amazing. Stalk them and tell them to say yes, because we've gone out to them for sure. So um, <laughs> there, there are a handful of comic creators that I'd love to see on the show. Yeah. And if anybody out there listening has somebody that they want to see interviewed, man, hit them up. Tell them to, to come on. We'd have <laughs> us for them. sure. Okay, cool. We're almost at an hour here, but for the final question, Tom, because I know you've probably got a very busy day ahead of you, where can people go to find out more about Impact Theory and Neon Future and everything else you guys are up to? So if you want to pre-order the comic, go to comics.impacttheory.com. If you want to follow socially what we're doing, go to at ITcomics on Instagram. And then if you want to follow me personally, you can follow me on IG at at Tom Bilyeu. Unfortunately, my last name is spelled a little weird. It's B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Um, but there's not too many of me out there, so you got to be able to find it pretty fast. Totally. And especially if you're a talented comic book artist, hit Tom up because I think I saw something about you guys potentially bringing on other comic book projects in a similar way to how Image Comics do it, where they kind of pull together interesting stories that are created by independent creators and help them get their books out there. Are you intending on doing that maybe in the future, Tom? We're definitely going to be doing that in the future. Right now, to get these first books um, out of the gate, we're developing everything in-house. But if anybody out there is a talented comic book creator at any level, writer, penciler, inker, um, colorist, and you've always wanted like healthcare and a full-time job, uh, let us know. You have to live in Los Angeles. That is the only catch. This is only available for people in-house. But we're looking to bring on people on full-time jobs, salaried positions where you no longer have to panic about where your next paycheck is coming from, um, and really trying to create a just really, really special and amazing uh, vibe here with the creatives. So we're definitely looking for people that work hard, but um, the group that we have so far is a world class and b just a lot of fun to be around so man if you're in los angeles let your boy know super cool man it's been awesome to have you here on the htdc podcast hearing about everything you're doing with impact theory comics and the comic book projects that you're working on so thank you so much for being here tom to the listeners thanks for sticking with us be sure to catch tom and impact theory comics at new york city comic con october 4th to 7 at booth number 236 all right that's it for now and until next time keep on creating